0: As companies depend more on data to improve digital products and make informed decisions, it's crucial that the data they use be accurate and reliable. Monte Carlo, the data reliability company, is the creator of the industry's first end-to-end data observability platform. Moses and Lior Gavish are the founders of Monte Carlo, and they join us today. This episode is hosted by Sean Falconer. Sean's been an academic founder and Googler, he has published works covering a wide range of topics from information visualization to quantum computing. Currently, Sean is head of developer relations and product marketing at Skyflow and host of the podcast, Partiality Redacted, a podcast about privacy and security engineering. Leo Barr, welcome to the show. Hi, Sean. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks so much for
1: being here. Uh, I'm you know, very excited to talk about data, data observability, Monte Carlo, uh, but maybe before we get there, let's kick things off with an introduction. You know, Who are you, what do you do, and how did you get to where you are today? And Lior, maybe we'll start with you.
2: All right. Uh, so my name is Leor. I'm a co-founder and, and CTO at, at Monte Carlo. Um, before Monte Carlo, I actually founded uh, another startup, a cybersecurity startup. Um, that startup uh, ended up being acquired by by a company called Barracuda, uh, where I ended up leading uh, the the engineering team uh, and building products that help people uh, basically protect themselves from fraud. Um, and uh, how how I ended up uh, starting Monte Carlo alongside Bar was basically uh, we were using machine learning and analytics to do some uh, fraud protection work that uh, that could be done before with kind of more traditional uh, rule based techniques um, and uh, we built some innovative products that were widely adopted and 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 protected millions of people um, however, when I thought about you know the times that we disappointed our customers where we didn't deliver on our promise, um, I realized that it was more frequently because of the data side of the house, right? The uh, the parts that drive machine learning and analytics that were so core to these products, uh, and not so much the more traditional kind of infrastructure and application side, which, um, and, and when we're thinking about it, uh, I, I I basically realized, hey, you know, I, I'm of a software engineering background, uh, and, and so is most of the team, and um, and there's some good ways to to work in making your product reliable and kind of uh, work the way you expect in, on the, in the software engineering side. Uh, we generally call it DevOps, right? Uh, and so we had the methodology, we had the tooling, um, but all of that did not exist on the data side, right? When you're creating a machine learning model and running it or when you're uh, creating analytics and you're driving your application with data, um, all there, there were no well-established ways to make sure those systems were reliable and the, the data was right. Uh, and, and that hit us, uh, again and again. And, uh, and so that, that was some of the inspiration, uh, to create Monte Carlo, which, which helps data teams make their data reliable and trustworthy. Um, well, we'll talk more about that. Villa, I'll stop here. Awesome. Yeah. And, uh, Bar, do you want to come?
0: Yeah. So I'm Bar. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Monte Carlo. Um, Prior to Monte Carlo, in the last decade and a half or so, I've been in data and analytics, um, working with teams to help make decisions and build products with data. Um, uh, prior to Monte Carlo, I was at a company called Gainsight, where um, we helped use customers or organizations use data to make decisions about their customer base. So think about you know who's likely to churn, who's likely to upsell, why, kind of using data to drive um, uh, sort of better processes and organizational behavior around that. Um, and I was a person responsible for the data, and the data was wrong all the time. Uh, and I would wake up on uh, Monday morning to a barrage of emails and complaints from various folks asking, you know, WTF, is the data wrong? Um, and, you know, as a, as a data person, I was really frustrated that the solutions were only, you know, very manual. Um, and when I was looking at my engineering counterparts, they had all these fancy solutions, and I had none. And that, uh, I, that pissed me off. And so I um, decided to to start Monte Carlo to, to solve that. Um, I'm originally born and, and raised from um, in Israel, uh, so moved to the Bay Area about 15 years ago. Oh, fantastic.
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, the data quality issue that you mentioned, you know, you, you always hear when it comes to things like machine learning, of course, that, you know, you're Basically, the model that you build is very reliant on the quality of the input and the quality of the data. And in you know, the world of sort of typical software engineering, we have all these kinds of you know, tools uh, for both observability and reliability, things like you know Datadog, PagerDuty. But we haven't, you know, typically seen as many of that tooling available to the data teams. So, do you think that's a product of? just the field of data engineering being at a you know in a less mature state than yours for software engineering
0: yeah it's a great question i can I can tell a little bit about sort of some of the changes that we're seeing in in data that we've seen um so you know I would say if we go back 10 15 years ago maybe 10 years at this point data was really confined to one or two people in the organizations who were trying to count mostly count how many customers they had or you know, how many many products they were selling. By the way, accounting is still the number one problem, which we have not solved to date. If anyone can solve that, let me know. Uh, But that's really what, you know, folks were were trying to do. Those people were oftentimes, you know, maybe in the IT organization, maybe in the finance team. um, And they had a lot of time to look at that data because they were using that data maybe once a quarter to report to the street or something like that. That is a vastly different world from where we are today. Um, Today, you have hundreds, thousands of people using data. That data resides in various places. You might have multiple data warehouses, multiple data lakes. You will have multiple use cases for that data. And you might be using that data every single day, multiple times a day, maybe near real time in some situations. Um, And so there's this evolution that we've gone as a data industry for how we use data, for what we do with data, and also the stakes for data. So if in the past it was a couple of people... Making very little decisions based on it today, people have their entire organizations and their products run based on those data. And we see this with the explosion of data products going from you know a term that's hardly been used to something that every organization is orienting themselves around today. How do we actually build and support data products, um, ranging you know from uh, you know companies like JetBlue who use data to power you know our airlines and you know where is our you know where is your luggage. Um, to organizations like um, CNN and New York Times, you know, media organizations who are powering um, you know, their advertising or marketing with data, um, to B2B companies like PagerDuty um, and Gusto actually use um, you know, pa- uh, data to, uh, to, to power their customer relationships. Um, that is a very different world than what it was 10, 15 years ago. And so even the definition of quality and what it means to have high-quality data 10 years ago is not the same as today, and the stakes are way higher. So I think because of all of those reasons, it's become way more important to make sure that the data is reliable and trusted, and it's become something that's more sort of front and center. Um, it's funny, I, I, you know, I was talking to, um, to a data leader a couple of days ago, and they were telling me, yeah, like 10 years ago, I had like 30 people staring at the data every single day to make sure that the report that we're sending to our CEO is 100% accurate. Like literally, I would hire people just to stare at the report. Um, today, I can't do that, right? Especially in this market, um, I need to find automated ways to help make my team more efficient.
1: Yeah. So th- you mentioned this. You know, there's been essentially an explosion of the amount of data available to companies over the last, you know, ten to fifteen years, and then. So essentially companies have access to way more information than they ever had in previously in their storing and processing all that information. And that impacts the way that those companies make decisions. But what are some of the problems that, you know, companies run into with managing large amounts of, of data? You mentioned essentially data reliability, but maybe you can dive a little bit deeper into what are some of those sort of engineering problems they're going to run into when they're trying to actually utilize all this information that they're storing?
2: Yeah, Absolutely um so as you mentioned that the amount of data is is increasing um and as bar mentioned also the uh the number of consumers and data products that are created from this data is increasing because that's how you get value out of it right you put it in front of people or in front of models or uh, or use it to power business processes right um and so the, the the complexity of the systems that are ingesting and processing and then serving that data has increased exponentially. Um, and with that come, you know, come a bunch of different challenges. I'll, I'll, I'll just name a few, um, you know, data discovery is a channel and as a challenge, like if I need to answer a certain question with data, where and how do I find the, the relevant pieces of information? That becomes really tricky. Um, access management, like how do you make sure that, people that need the data uh, get access to it, but people that don't need it don't. Um, how do you manage privacy? How do you make sure that that the right information gets to the right people? Um, how do you find ownership? Like who owns what part of this system and who's accountable to, to make it work? Um, defining interfaces between different teams that are using the data uh, or, or processing it. Uh, all these problems, uh, kind of, uh, rear their, their ugly heads. Um, these are all problems that will sound very familiar to, to software engineers. Right. Cause I, th- I think the growth in software engineering happened probably, um, you know, a, a decade or two before data engineering. So like, you know, there, there's good analogies there. Uh, probably the biggest challenge, at, at least in, uh, we're biased, but, uh, the biggest challenge from our perspective at the end of the day is, is data trust, like. How do you make sure that those data products that companies put um either in front of their customers or in front of internal stakeholders or, you know, again, as as a as input to to kind of critical business processes? Um, how do you make sure it actually works and is 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 trusted? Um and that has a bunch of different components. One of them is 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 creating transparency, like what where is this data even coming from? um who created it and how um and then there's uh what we we traditionally talk about in in reliability right in devops there's kind of making sure the system is operating well and that's uh that's where we focus and that's where there's a lot of um uh issues that come from from various different directions right um you know you can have your data sources changing in unpredictable ways you can have uh, people committing code to the data pipelines and changing them with with unintended consequences, uh, and you can have your your infra failing in in various different ways. And so, uh, managing that complexity uh, of, of 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 people and systems uh, is is a huge challenge, and, and that's kind of where we spend most of our time.
1: Mm-hmm. And then, how are companies? Like dealing with these problems today, you know, around data trust and data reliability, are they building essentially trying to build their own like
2: bespoke solutions to this? Uh, I, I can kick us off. Uh, so I think, uh, we've seen a variety of different ways. Of course, there's, there's people who do nothing and pray, and that's uh, but that's that's increasingly uh, uh n- not a sustainable path. Uh, I think in terms of of approaches where, where most people start is with, uh, is with what we call data testing, um, which is, uh, and, and there's some great uh, tools out there to do that. It's basically uh, introduce it, it's the equivalent of, of, of unit testing and software engineering, right? Uh, it's the idea of adding uh, simple validations uh, to your data pipeline. So as the data flows through the pipeline, it will get validated, uh, and, 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 you know, the test will make sure that it meets, uh, certain assumptions, uh, or, 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 uh, invariants that the, the person who built the pipeline, uh, you know, believes should be true, right? Uh, it's, it's, could be things like, well, oh, make sure this column doesn't have nulls, um, or make sure this field is present in, in a table or in, in various other, uh, kind of logical constraints. Um, and this is where most teams start and this, this will, will get you pretty far. Um, what happens though, is that as teams grow, as the complexity of the system grows, it becomes, uh, increasingly, uh, intractable, uh, to maintain your testing suite. Right. And, and again, every software engineer, uh, knows that unit tests are critical. Uh but it's not the only quality gate that you have right you have to uh to do uh you know uh a bunch of other different tests and you have to monitor your system in production because um you're not going to be able to write uh a sufficient number of unit tests uh with with enough coverage to to ever uh detect all issues, not to mention the fact that um you know it it doesn't account for uh, for for the integration part of the of the problem, right? Uh, and so, um, as teams grow, they will start adopting additional tools on top of data testing, and and obviously, data observability uh, is is what we believe uh, is a prime choice. And and increasingly, uh, we, we've seen great adoptions by now. We've worked with uh, hundreds of customers. Um, data observability adds a layer of 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 essentially monitoring and we'll talk about what observability adds on top of monitoring but basically monitoring your production data system so your data warehouse your bi tools uh, your orchestration tools uh, your data lakes um, and uh, kind of making sure that the system works as expected and that your data products are reliable in production right so it's basically monitoring the 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 aggregate effect of the code that you have, the data that you're ingesting, and the infrastructure that you're running on to make sure that the end product um, is reliable. And alongside the data observability tool, people also adopt, um, you know, an, an, an operational cadence or an operational discipline around it, um, and you know, an incident response process, um, and and sometimes ownership uh around what components of the data system are are owned by whom so it kind of really drives uh you know a regimented way to uh to make sure trust and reliability are there so you mentioned you know essentially monitoring and data
1: observability so who within an organization is typically responsible for sort of owning the monitoring and observability of these data pipelines is that going to fall into the responsibilities of the data team
2: so absolutely so that's such a great question because we're we're seeing a shift there um it's you know traditionally uh, I talked about all the different challenges that that exist around managing uh you know vast amounts of data uh traditionally uh you had people in the organization who's, uh usually they would be called data governance people uh and their job was to basically um layer o- over. Governance on top of the on top of the data stack, right add you know quality and trust and and discovery and and, and all those other parts of the of the governance challenge right um, we're seeing things shift uh, as, as we saw them again this is, this is, reminds me so much of software engineering, but you know you used to have ops teams that would be completely independent of, of software teams that didn't really work great. Uh, and then we started embedding that function within engineering teams, right? DevOps, right? Uh, so you have to work pretty closely with the team that builds it in order to make the thing reliable or secure or whatever it is. And we're seeing that happening in data teams as well. So basically, uh, data teams are taking ownership. We're seeing, uh, you know, data engineers, analytics engineers. Analysts uh taking ownership of making sure that what they're building, what they're delivering to their customers is reliable rather than having a separate uh group of people and a separate function taking care of that
0: and I would add, I think it's sort of a reckoning moment for data teams, if you will, if you think about you know what we've done in the last decade or so as a data industry data teams basically made history as one of the very first departments to spin up eight-figure technology stacks with really little to no questions asked and one of the prime reasons why they can't see or are struggling to see roi on that is because the data is inaccurate can't be trusted and can't used and so data teams are put in a position where we have sort of top-notch world-class best tech stack that we can now it's money time we need to make sure that we can use that data to actually drive impact um, And so that I think where a lot of the questions around how do we do that in a scalable, automated, um, proactive way is where we can rely on best practices from software engineering. It's all you know. We don't want to reinvent the wheel. There's been sort of a lot of advancements in DevOps that we can adopt here um, that I think we're seeing data teams rely on.
1: Yeah. In. You know, you you made this analogy or, or connection to software engineering teams a couple of times. You see, since we have this you know explosion of data, and then now, like you said, that it's like you know it's ROI time for businesses. Do you think we'll also see uh, essentially a continuation of specialization within data teams, where we're going to have essentially the equivalent of a a DevOps or you know type person within data teams? So maybe I don't know, data DevOps or you know so something like that. We we need to work on the branding, but. Um, Essentially, as these areas become more important to a business, there's more um, people uh, in those industries, you end up with a specialization. Is that something you're starting to see as well?
0: 100%. I think both, You know, to Lior's point earlier, there's a lot of shift in the data roles themselves, whether it's data governance, data analytics, um, machine learning engineers, analytics engineers, sort of a plethora of titles today. We're also seeing more and more specialization and sort of teams that are responsible specifically for the reliability of data, for the security of data. Um, you know, there we're starting to see teams that are called basically DRE, so on, on as SRA data reliability engineers. Um, hmm. We're seeing more and more of that in job descriptions, actually. Um, so it's quite interesting, and I do see kind of a, a following in terms of the, the titles and roles as well.
1: Yeah, it is interesting. So. You, we've, we've touched a couple on, on a bunch of issues here and also I think on the need of some sort of you know platform essentially that helps teams around managing the data reliability. So I, I think this you know brings us to a good place to, to talk a little bit about Monte Carlo's platform. So can you start by just explaining how Monte Carlo helps organizations improve their approach to data quality and reliability?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um so actually actually Datadog is a great analogy for for what Monte Carlo is and you know quite frankly uh it inspired a lot of, of or you know knowing Datadog and and New Relic uh really inspired a lot of what we did at at Monte Carlo. And so if you're familiar with Datadog, uh it's it's very very similar. Um the idea is to basically integrate with all different parts of the stack. So that's kind of the first thing that our customers do and that that, that Monte Carlo does is uh, connect to the data warehouse, to the data lake, the orchestration tools, to Ei tools, um, really, and, and, and collaboration tools as well. So really anything that our customers use to do their job. Um, and then uh, we basically collect uh, metadata and metrics and logs from all of these systems and create a unified view of, uh, of, of the health of the system, of the health, and more, more importantly, the health of the data that's flown through the system. Um, and that, um, that essentially powers three different use cases that, that, that are critical in the, in the DevOps or Slash ops process, right? Um, the first one is basically being able to know that you have an issue, right? alerting people proactively when something breaks. So that's really the most probably the most important value that you get out of mo- Monte Carlo is we take all this information and we can automatically create alerts on, on Slack or, or, or whatnot uh, that tell people like, Hey, something's broken. So instead of, you know, getting a, an angry Slack message from the CEO, uh, you're getting a, an angry Slack message from us, uh, which is much better. Uh, the second part, uh, where we see ourselves helping, uh, is in triaging and troubleshooting and then resolving, uh, those issues, right? Uh, when you have a problem, uh, as we said, data systems are very complex. A lot of things can go wrong. It could be the data, it could be the code, it could be the infrastructure. And so, uh, we give people a complete view of all these different parts uh and let them essentially correlate uh, all these things in order to understand what the root cause uh, of the issue is right um, and um, and we can talk more about it uh, later but that is actually a critical component uh, we, we see this time and time again uh, with monitoring tools um, that really focus on the on the first part of the problem kind of detecting and sending people alert alerts and um, what ends up happening is a lot of fatigue, right? Because people get alerts and then there's like some obscure issue in the data. And then it can be so tedious to understand what happened that people simply ignore these and go back to, you know, to status quo, uh, you know, pre-obs- pre-observability um, where we really try to shine is giving people all this, all this context about, Uh, what happened, where it happened, what are all the different factors that could have led to to the issue. Um, uh, And and then the the kind of final use case that we also really uh, like to help our customers with is is preventing data issues. Basically helping them mitigate some of the issues that might happen in the future. Um, And we do that by giving them insights about um, how their system is structured. We help them understand the different dependencies Uh, Between all the different pieces that they have Uh, in particular, we automatically create, you know, field level lineage across the entire data stack Uh, that works kind of out of the box, which allows people to better understand uh, how changes in their system are going to uh, impact, uh, you know, other parts of the system. Uh, We give people a lot of analytics about how data is used, um, how their data stack is performing. Uh, and a lot of other information that really helps them make wise decisions and actually improve the system over time so that not only do they get alerted quicker and solve the problems faster, which kind of deals with the time of detection time resolution problem, uh, but also are able to reduce the number of incidents that that they have in their data. Um, and... Um, I'll, I'll, maybe give a very simple example, but you know, uh, and, and this has happened to anyone who's building stuff, with data, uh, when uh, you wake up and, uh, you know, an obscure field in one of your data sources, uh, becomes a null right? you're suddenly getting nulls in turn, instead of IDs that, that, you know, that are really critical for you. Um, and so in, in that kind of scenario. Monte Carlo can basically automatically detect with almost no guidance, uh, that this has happened, right? It will detect that, you know, a certain column that used to have values now has nulls. Um, it will send a Slack alert to the, to the right team, right? We actually are able to find the right owners for that problem. Um, we will have all the information about what happened. Uh, and the person uh, triaging it would be able to look at the table where that data is coming from, what changes recently happened to uh, to the code that is creating that data, easily navigate to code changes that maybe happened upstream, uh, understand the data sources that are feeding into it, also understand the, the, the downstream dependencies. Like, is this something that actually matters? Is, is anyone using this? Who, did, who needs like who needs to be informed on the status page, right? Um, and people oftentimes neglect that. But when you're talking about trust, uh, about creating trust in data, it actually matters if you're able to proactively let people know, hey, something's broken, I'm working on it, versus uh, they find out on their own, right? Um, and so we create a, a, a complete uh, solution for that entire workflow around getting alerted on and solving and communicating around uh data incidents so in going back to
1: your example there where you're detecting that a null value suddenly is entering this field how do how does you know Monte Carlo know that that is not the right thing to be doing is it doing some sort of like padding recognition or is that a a predefined rule that has to be set up
2: such a great question um the uh the the answer is both uh so we give our customers the the flexibility to define rules and thresholds and logic where uh where it makes sense for them where they have very very strict requirements uh but what really helps monte carlo customers scale is the fact that we automated a lot of it with uh basically with with machine learning right um and we have the advantage of, of of having access to the data. And so uh, we can actually look at past patterns of that data. And in this particular example, we might observe that uh, this column historically has a 100% of the values populated and those values meet a certain pattern, uh, etc. And then uh, as we observe the system and see new data coming in, uh, we might see that that has shifted quite a bit, uh, right? That 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 metric in this particular case, you know, the null percentage uh, shifted from being whatever 100% to less than that, uh, and that's something we can do with with kind of anomaly detection algorithms that that we built uh, at at Monte Carlo. Uh, we can basically compare the current behavior to what the past predict uh, behavior should be. Um, and alert when there's deviations, um, and, and essentially, uh, the, the kind of secret sauce here, if you will, uh, is that, um, by now we have quite a bit of scale. We help thousands of data engineers, um, you know, deal with this, with these incidents, uh, every single day. Um, and all these people are providing very valuable feedback to us so we actually so our system actually gets better and better with every day that passes um and so we were able to start from you know uh a very basic system to a system that's now highly refined uh and it's getting better uh every every single day um and then um there's additional things we do to 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 further automate and scale the thing which is to basically combine these past banners that we see with um, with metadata and lineage and end to end visibility right um, I'll give an example of of, of how it plays out um, you know uh t- typically when when data breaks uh a lot of things happen right it might manifest if 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 a certain table has nulls in it, those nulls might be might propagate to downstream tables uh or even change them in other kind of unforeseen ways um and and that will create a lot of alerts right uh that might you, you might get dozens of alerts in certain cases about the exact same problem um and so the, the way we help teams deal with that uh is we're actually able to group and correlate all these alerts uh and tell customers like hey all these tables they're actually related by lineage right by dependencies uh and by transformation uh and they actually maybe even have the same owner um and so we're able to really create um to, to reduce noise there. Uh and 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 also help people pinpoint uh the problem rather than trying to deal with, with 50 different alerts about different things. Um and so there's there's a lot of work that went into scaling the 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 data quality challenge so that you don't have to configure everything on your own and you don't have to uh figure out problems all on your own. Yeah, the consolidation of the alerts uh, makes a lot of sense
1: because I think if you're you end up bombarding somebody with a lot of alerts and noise, then it goes back to like what you're saying is someone just gets overwhelmed and it's like well I'll just ignore this and and then you're back to the like <laughs> a real problem of basically no monitoring. So in the I, I and I, I just like in terms of this like anomaly detection work that you're doing, uh, I imagine your background in fraud detection, some of the learnings that you had there has been sort of transferable to this because it's a lot of kind of like same sort of pattern recognition and stuff do you end up having to create essentially a different model of behavior for every you know field of data if we're imagining sort of like a, a schema based database or something like that
2: yeah, great question um the it, so the answer is yes we basically uh train a model per uh metric that we collect um and so our models are really tuned for every, you know, for every customer, but also every single table and metric that they have. Um, Of course, there are learnings that we apply across the board. We don't necessarily, we obviously don't use uh, data across customers, but we're actually able to use the feedback that people provide in, in the context of, of, of their own system to really uh, make the model learn and fine tune itself for uh, for every specific customer and every specific table. So, in terms of the feedback loop, that
1: is, uh, someone's actually able to say, like, this is like essentially like useful or this is accurate or not, and then you take that into account for adapting the the machine learning that's that's driving these alerts and and behaviors.
2: Absolutely,
1: yeah. So, you mentioned earlier that when you were first describing sort of how Monte Carlo works that you're connecting throughout the stack as a, as user of the platform. So can you talk a little bit about like, how does someone go about like integrating Monte Carlo into this, you know, existing data infrastructure and, and maybe a variety of, of tools that the organizations are already using?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, um, I'll, I'll give a generality and then I'll give some, some examples, but in general, we use, um, use we use the APIs that these systems provide. Uh, so the, the integration process is actually fairly simple. You don't need to add anything to your code or, uh, or install agents or anything like that, uh, you basically create, um, a read only, read only credentials. Uh, to all the different parts of the stack. Um, and we pull everything we need from there. So uh, to give you an example, uh, if you're connecting Monte Carlo to Snowflake or Redshift or BigQuery uh, or Databricks, uh, you'll be creating um, a read-only users. Um, we have obviously SQL snippets that that automate it. Um, and then you'll basically punch these credentials uh, or these API keys uh into monte carlo uh and then you go from there uh we do all the rest um we we never pull data out of these systems we just use them to query the data um that's really critical from a performance and also security and compliance standpoint um uh but but we don't uh we don't need customers to move the data into monte carlo or to wire their pipelines we we automate all of that Mm
1: -hmm. i see I and mean, then, is there because you essentially you're querying into these existing data sources? Is there any impact from a performance standpoint to add this level of
2: observability? Great question. Uh, the, the the TLDR is uh, yes, there is impact, and yes, it's, and, and it's minimal. Uh, and I'll explain. Uh, and, and that really differs between the different technologies. For, for example, with Snowflake. You won't see any performance impact because it's pretty easy to separate workloads. Um, but you will see a cost impact. Um, on the other hand, on Redshift, uh, there's no separation of workloads. Uh, but you, and so you won't have cost impact, but you will have, uh, a perf- you know, performance impact because we do query those systems. Um, we've done a lot of work, uh, to make sure that the impact is minimal. Uh, so basically, for most our most of our customers, you'll see a low single digit percentage uh, increase in cost or kind of performance degradation. Um, and, and we've invested a lot in, in doing that. Obviously, you you don't want your observability uh, tool to be a major uh, a major spend or 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 or, or, or hurt the workloads. Uh, and so, we invested a lot in 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 uh, scaling, doing everything incrementally, in uh, doing everything very very efficiently in a very optimized way. Uh, we use metadata extensively wherever we can uh, to to do certain things that that uh, that you could have done with data, uh, but metadata is cheaper to extract, right? So uh, we 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 definitely pay a lot of attention to that. We definitely don't want to harm the system that we're we're observing. <laughs> Mhm. What
1: what has been sort of like one of the biggest like technical or engineering challenges that you've had to to work through in order to build a platform like this?
2: Great question. Um I think probably so we we talked about um about the anomaly detection piece which is far from per- trivial. Um I mentioned we we automatically generate lineage uh which is a really really interesting technical challenge because it requires a lot of reverse engineering of logs and metadata from various systems. Um, but probably the biggest challenge is that, um, we support, um, a variety of different tools. I think we we now support several dozen tools across these different categories. Um, and, and, and we go pretty deep with those tools, right? Like when we do, when we build an integration for a certain warehouse or for certain BI tool, uh, we deeply um, we deeply understand its objects and its metrics and its metadata, uh, and so we've really had to create. And yet, uh, from the standpoint of the end user, uh, you get a pretty streamlined and consistent experience. Right? It doesn't matter what data warehouse you use or what orchestration tool you use or what BI tool you use. Uh, you get very consistent uh, workflows uh, and very consistent capabilities. Uh, In order to do that, we really had to um, create basically a common data model for all these different tools and, and that is both rigid enough so that we can build all these capabilities and all these applications on top of it, but also flexible enough to account for you know a variety of different tools that work in very different ways, and uh, getting to that sweet spot uh, was was definitely um, you know both challenging but also very gratifying and 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 and, and critical to our success.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like there's several sort of components of that challenge. First, you have to build this like deep expertise somewhat with whatever data source that you're sort of hooking into. Then you also need to create like a really great sort of frictionless user experience, so that people aren't like having to learn something completely new every time they're connecting like to a different source. And then on top of that, you're creating this abstraction layer of the data that needs to be able to be consistent across all these different data sources, but powerful enough to actually uh, uh, do all the observability and and various other tooling that you provide. That's that's a uh, that's a yeah. lot of that's a big hairy uh, hairy mess to, to try to to work through, but yeah. um, you know. Essentially, that is the, the the value that I guess that you're bringing to these companies. So one of the things you mentioned was, um, you know, clearly if you're using this, there's you know maybe some little bit of performance uh, hit that someone's taking depending on the source of data, um, and then on top of that, it might increase their their cost because of you know the increased compute or queries that are running. But what is the sort of like ROI that companies are getting by? Uh, where they're you know willing to accept essentially those downsides in uh, in in terms of the value that they're getting out of adding this level of observability and knowing when actually there is a problem with the data.
0: I can start with the business impact, and then Leor, maybe you can chime in on um, sort of engineering workflows. I think you know on the business impact, I'll just give a couple examples to bring to life what happens when things go wrong um so a couple of examples sort of from you know from the news from recently um unity is a gaming company um that uh, uh published that because of one schema change Ligor spoke earlier about sort of changes that engineering teams might make or other upstream organizations um so for for unity they were using data to power some of their ads and one schema change actually resulted in in a, a mistake that cost a hundred million dollars um, and so you can imagine the ROI and, and that issue, right? And, and organizations, data teams have issues, not once a year, they have issues daily often. Data teams spend, you know, 30 to 80% of their time on fire drills. And so when the cost of one issue is so significant, you don't really wanna risk that, right? Um, and, and we see that across companies that we work with, right? So it's not uncommon for one, um, for one kind of data issue to have significant impact on on revenue. Another example that I think helps bring this to life is um, Equifax, sort of a credit score company, released um, a couple months ago um, that they actually issued wrong credit scores to millions of users uh, because of actually a problem that they had with the data feeding one of their algorithms. Um, And so, you know, sort of the the social economic, you know, implications of that, millions of users that can't take out a loan or a mortgage as a result, like the. You know, th- those are sort of real lives that are being impacted um, in that sense. And so, you know, I think data teams have more and more sort of power and responsibility, um, and the cost of not being responsible with your data trust and data reliability is, is incredibly high.
2: Yeah, and, and I think just complimenting it, with you know, from the standpoint of the builders or the people that build these systems, Bart mentioned this. Uh, they spend 30 to 80% of their time uh doing fire drills if you can uh if, if if you can reduce that if you can make their lives easier and do this faster there's a significant uh increase in productivity uh for these teams right and um you know we we you know people I I, I can't speak of our customers but like people that joined Unity for that matter or or Equifax um you know they want to work on, on gaming right uh, engines uh, or they want to work on um you know on, on 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 credit scores uh they don't want to work on quality and 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 it's not the core business right so if we can free up these people's times to work on their core business uh that is something that's very valuable especially uh especially when you consider how scarce uh talent is and and how expensive it is yeah
1: absolutely i think that's a consistent theme that you know, uh, we see in, in you know, a variety of interviews that I've done with, you know, various people building tools, you know, developer-focused focus tools or data engineering-focused tools is, you know, let's get people back to doing the thing that they actually like to do and want to do that delivers value to the business rather than focusing on these, you know, other tasks that, you know, maybe not that much fun uh, to, to, to <laughs> kind of dig in and, and build uh, solutions for. So um, just as we start to wrap up, is there looking towards the the future are there you know trends or advancements that you're seeing in the field of you know data observability and reliability that are exciting to you
2: uh, so data observability is um, is always fun because it's kind of a it's a relatively new category and so uh, and, and we're fortunate enough to be in on the kind of bleeding edge and kind of define, um constantly defined and reinvented which is a lot of fun personally um i'll I'll maybe touch on one trend that is probably top of mind for for everybody uh but you know if you're not living under a rock you've probably heard of generative ai and uh and and all of that um i think it's going to have interesting implications for our space as well Uh, there's probably three different ways that, that I see it. One is, um, I think generative AI is going to unlock a lot of use cases in data. Um, I think people are going to be able to access data with natural language. Um, it's going to happen in baby steps. I don't think we're all getting replaced by, uh, models tomorrow, but, uh, but it is going to make data more accessible to people and organizations and people that used to have to ask for a favor from an analyst or, or, you know, tediously work to create a dashboard on their own, they'll now be able to basically ask their question, get an answer. Um, I think uh, similarly, like, you know, data engineers are going to be much more productive. They're going to be able to automate a lot of their work. They're not going to be replaced, but they're going to write their SQL and their Python faster and better. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I think the, if, if you think about that, um, the, the outcome is there's going to be more data products, there are going to be more data usage, it's going to be used uh in in, in more use cases. Um and that will make data observability even uh harder because we're going to have more complex systems. Uh and and even more important, right? Because there will be less governance, right? There'll be less gatekeepers that take a look and crunch the data before. Uh, before it gets um get u- gets used by consumers right and so data observability is just going to uh to become more important um, i think the other aspect of generative ai is that um you know uh i think people are going to use generative ai for their in their own businesses right uh all these companies that we talked about they're going to find great use cases for for generative ai and um and they're going to build data pipelines that other run these models or for some companies it might make you know sense to even like fine tune or or train models right um and i think it's going to be interesting to see like how can we help make those pipelines reliable like how do you make sure that uh that that the, those llms do what they're supposed to do right there's no shortage of examples where they don't do what you're supposed to do. uh and so Uh, you know, that, that'll be really interesting to, 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 to follow. Um, and then finally, I think it, you know, like everybody we're looking at how generative AI can, uh, can help our users do their work better and faster. Right. And how it can integrate with the workflows, uh, around detecting and resolving and preventing data issues. And there's some, uh, some exciting stuff coming, coming down our, uh, our, our pipeline. Uh, and so, you know, overall it's, it's a very exciting technology that, that has, that I think is going to, to be really interesting for, for the world and, 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 for data observability in, 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 in particular. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Awesome. And, uh, Bart, do you have anything you want to add to that?
0: I can just share an example of um, a company that's, you know, thinking pretty, pretty, being pretty thoughtful about both sort of data BI and, and AI use cases. I, I mentioned JetBlue earlier, so still just a little bit of that story. So JetBlue, folks know, sort of a leading international airline, and their data team actually manages all the company's data from sort of bookings to flight times, Um And, you know, as they were sort of getting more sophisticated with using data, they're actually um, the biggest, I think one of the, the sort of biggest DBT instances. So they have like thousands of models and with sort of DBT and Snowflake, they just sort of accumulated a ton of value and the use of data exploded internally. And so they started having sort of a team that was actually called Eyes on Glass, which would manually refresh dashboards to make sure that the operations are smooth and everything is sort of working accurately. Um, Just because, as you can imagine, you know, having reports or data go wrong is basically unacceptable, especially for an organization that relies on data to make sure, you know, that your suitcase is arriving on time. Um, And they actually considered, you know, for these use cases, either like hiring a team to sort of set up manual tests or to build an in-house solution or something like that, and ended up going sort of a more, you know, scalable route with, with data observability to make sure that sort of all the operations and customer support are, are running well, and you know, investing in sort of AI um, uh, use cases in, in particular as well. And so, I think that is an example for a, for a team who's being very sort of thoughtful and, and diligent. And as they're introducing more and more use cases for data and powering data across the across their teams, um, being thoughtful about how data observability can support that journey.
1: Yeah, that that's a a really great example and use case and. I imagine uh there's the amount of data and insights that uh essentially like um, an airline has is is going to be is super powerful and, and they're probably only really just sort of scratching the surface there so leor and bar i want to thank you so much for being here i feel like uh there was so much to unpack we probably need to bring you back for to to dive in uh deep on a couple of these different topics uh, uh i would love that and thanks again for being here and cheers thanks sean
0: thanks sean